Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome back to New Books in German Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. My name is Miriam Scholli Schulz and I'm one of the hosts of this channel. And I'm joined today by my comrade and friend Henriette Sölter. Hi Henriette. Hi Miriam. <laughs> I'm delighted to join you um, for this episode of the show today as a co-host. And um, we are very, very happy to welcome Professor Dr. Zimmerer to this episode today. And we look very much forward to this conversation. And uh, maybe Miriam, you want to introduce our guests to our listeners. Yes, sure. So um, Jürgen Zimmerer is professor of global history and the head of the research center Hamburg's postcolonial legacy at the University of Hamburg. He served as the founding president of the International Network of Genocide Scholars for 12 years until 2017 and was the senior editor of the Journal of Genocide from 2005 to 2011. His research interests include German colonialism, comparative genocide studies, colonialism and the Holocaust, and environmental violence and genocide. And for the specific German context, his work has been very crucial in revealing the deep connections between the Holocaust and German colonialism. Up until that point, two German histories of violence hegemonically thought of as ontologically different, if at all thought together. Um, Jürgen's work is really so extensive that I can only mention a few of his similar books here. Um, and I will focus on the English um, language publications. So his publications include German Rural African Subjects, State Aspirations, and the Reality of Power in Colonial Namibia, which came out in 2021, and um, From Winter to Auschwitz, um, Reflections on the Relationship Between Colonialism and National Socialism, which is forthcoming in English in 2024. But today we will be discussing his new and surely provocative and edited volume, Erinnerungskämpfe, Neues Deutsches Geschichtsbewusstsein, which came out with Reklam earlier this year. What can be loosely translated as Memory Wars, New German Historical Consciousness, is a collection of essays that lay bare a mosaic of a diverse German memory landscape, as well as major debates and turning points that have been and are continually, continuously shaping it. And since it is an edited volume and in German, um, our conversation will probably go a little different than usual, less chapter specific and more from a bird's eye view. So hi, Jürgen, wonderful to have you and welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Yeah, welcome also from my side. Um, so let's get right started with our first question. Um, so Jürgen, you are not only the editor of this book, but you also contributed two chapters to it. So maybe let's start with your introduction, uh, which is called Who Owns German History? Uh, Wem gehört die deutsche Geschichte? And we thought it's interesting to think about history that can be owned. So maybe um, can you elaborate on that? Who has owned German history so far and who hasn't? And also who wants ownership now? Uh, well, maybe the translation of, of ownership is... Is is a bit uh, bit uh, not not problematic but flawed because what it means is who belongs to German history and who has a say in German history and and who is allowed 
to 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 talk and is listened to, and the the starting point. Uh, what I wanted to achieve with the book is are two um, two aims, two goals, so to speak. I wanted to show that the German memory landscape is a lot more diverse than the public and the published discourse in Germany shows. And I wanted to show that you can uh, edit the volume on German memory wars and the diversity and also have a diverse authorship. So uh, and that I, I tried. I mean, it's open to any sort of criticism where I failed, where I, I succeeded. But I wanted to prove that you could actually in, uh, get into a debate, into a discussion in a, in a volume, because we sometimes in Germany have, uh, we, we like to talk uh, over subjects, on subjects, but not not listen to those people uh, more 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 involved or, or more biographically involved than than ourselves. So that's what I wanted to achieve. And the starting point, another one was that we have. Well, I I do think that as you know, German society, German identity is 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 very focused on history and on, on memory. And I think that over the last couple of years we have quite an intensified debate on German identity and historical consciousness. And we always treat it like there's only one issue we, we need to talk about. So and whether it's the Bembe debate or the new historical stride or the documenta, it's almost always centered about one uh, topic. And I just wanted to provide the German public with the information that actually there are a number of debates going on. And I think it's very telling that like the guest workers or East German memory or the, the, the memory of violence of German unification is ignored in, 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 the, in, in, in the mainstream debate. Yeah, thank you for this. Um, it reminded me of um, what... Anna Heikova drawing on Gayatri Spivak called also historical citizenship, which I think is maybe a better term than the translation of ownership um, of history. Um, yeah, so given that ours is a transatlantic conversation um, for not exclusively German audience, um, the title Memory Wars probably calls to mind ongoing cultural wars in other national contexts. So. Here in the United States, for instance, uh, we are reminded of um, heated debates and also right-wing attacks on such fields as um, critical race theory or queer um, studies. Um, so I think it would be helpful. You mentioned already the Historikerstreit and the member um, debate or affair. Um, what is specific about the German memory wars? Uh, well... Let's start with saying what's not specific, I think, because I, I actually think it is a, a, a transnational a trans, a, it's, it, a transnational problem or a transnational conservative extreme right backlash, a white supremacist uh, backlash against everything we achieved or, or, or many of us have, have fought for over the, over the last 
years uh, and, and, and decades. And I, I, I observe that it's a lot of it is is originating in the U.S. and actually uh, uh, then um, copied uh, in, 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 in Germany. It's, it's changed a bit, like also for the better. I mean, if you look at the Black Lives Matter movement, which was concentrating on, on civil war uh, monuments in the U.S., then concentrated on on the slavery uh, profiteers in the in in Britain, and then in in Germany it engaged, for example, like the Bismarck statues in Hamburg and other places. So there is a transformation, but it's the same movement, and you can also um, see the same for the for the op uh, opposite side for the opponents, so to speak. We have critical race theory, which is not as prominent in 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 Germany now. We, we we are attacked under the headline of post-colonial studies. That's, uh, but it's the same mechanism. So I think everything which goes for more diverse understanding, for emancipation, for empowerment, all this gender studies, feminism, all this are under attack by those people who, who uh, reject the, the progress of the last decades. I would say. Yeah, well, um, maybe in addition to this, um, and also like regarding the very different debates and attacks that are currently happening, um, the subtitle of the book is Neues Deutsches Geschichtsbewusstsein, like New German Historical Consciousness. And so why do you think, um, is it exactly now important um, to have a new historical consciousness? And um, how is it specified at this very moment of time? Well, as I, I, I tried to outline in my, my introductory ch uh, chapter, I think we, from a specific German uh, position, we, we, we are having uh, a new... Uh, um, historical identity, or, or we are basing Germany on a new historical identity. That I, I call it the the ident uh, I, um, historical core, or the, the identity core of the Berlin Republic. And I think thirty years after unification, thirty plus years after unification, we can actually see a shift from a. Uh, from a, a very self-critical approach to our history to one which is, uh, which I think is a, a lot more self-confident and which I think is, is a Schlussstrich uh, debate without, uh, we'll call you a Schlussstrich, um, uh, drawing a line under it or stopping the self-critical uh uh, engagement without calling it. So on, on the surface, uh, political rhetoric tells us that we will always center our identity uh, around uh, a critical engagement with the Holocaust and the Nazism and the Third Reich. But in reality, Berlin has, uh, re has been rebuilt in the last uh, decades 
uh, in an architecture of Imperial Germany pre-World War One, And uh, you can see that the Humboldt Forum, the, 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 the city palace uh, of, of the Hohenzollern, the last uh, German imperial dynasty, which has been rebuilt where the Palace of the Republic stood. And the Palace of the Republic was a, a central building for the German Democratic Republic, for East Germany. And after unification, this was... Um, uh, destroyed, was taken away, was says it was asbestos, it could not be saved. And then instead of putting, for example, a monument, a critical monument for the victims of Nazism there, one rebuilt the imperial palace. And one built uh, the, the, the me uh, memorial for the murdered Jews of Europe, but not on a not in, in the central uh, central line from the Brandenburg Gate to the Alex. Uh, so you could walk, you could have two completely separate walks in Berlin. One, you can go to the memorials for the victims, mainly the Jewish victims, but also uh, Sinti and Roma victims. But you could also walk from the Brandenburg Gate through Berlin without encountering encountering uh, the destruction and the memorials of 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 of, of World War Two and, and 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 the German century of, of 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 racist violence, and that is very telling. And the Humboldt Forum, which should also or was supposed to, to house or is housing the Ethnological Museum, is connecting the Berlin Republic to Berlin's great time or Germany's great time as a, a cultural nation and a, a nation of, of, of science. And I think that this is actually actually a, a quite a departure from from at least the identity of the Bonn Republic where I, I grew grew up. Yeah. yeah, this is something actually that we wanted to talk to you about, of course, since um, your expertise is in German colonialism and you have been um, responding to the so-called Humboldt Forum in the middle of Berlin. Um, so the Humboldt Forum, as you've kind of indicated already, is, of course, very telling about the recent shifts in German historical consciousness and political agendas. And I guess the two cannot be thought of as independent from one another. Um, so maybe we can talk about a little bit more about the Humboldt Forum and its relationship also to the memorial of the murdered Jews um, and also maybe die Neue Wache, which is um, exactly opposite of um, the Humboldt Forum, of course, um, which ultimately is a memorial to all victims of war um, and kind of, I guess, for right-wing um, people, the embodiment of a memorial for German victimhood in the Second World War. So yeah, how about we explain for an American audience maybe exactly what the Humboldt Forum is, when it came about, and again, how you interpret um, the shifts um, and symbolism of it? Maybe may I just go back to the last question because I've, I forgot my second point. I said one point is this Schlussstrich and the Neues Deutsches Geschichtsbewusstsein in a conservative way. But we also have now the uh, a discussion or, or the realization that Germany is a, 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 a society which is demographically quite different from the German society pre-1945, 
25% of all the Germans have a, a, we call it migrant background, which means therefore one of the parents or grandparents has been born outside Germany. And I think that we have a debate where also those people, uh, and that is back to this ownership question, wanted to be heard and we need, we need that is maybe the normative part of the book, we need a new German um, uh, history uh, consciousness because we need to include those because we, that, we the, the debate or our, our concept of German uh, historical identity is shaped by a Germany of 1945 and that is an ethnically cleansed German society because the Jews were driven out of were murdered a lot of other people were not that though the fiction of a homogeneous German society is actually a Nazi fiction and it's a folkish concept and we are discussing our historical consciousness in this folkish terms up to today and so I also wanted to set a counterpoint to that and saying no if you're if you're of, of uh, Italian background Turkish background Vietnamese background whatever you are born in this country you are German it's 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 time that we also include their stories including their traumas into what, what German uh, historical identity is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, I, I totally agree. This is um, one of the major contributions and interventions of this book um, and also shown in the kind of um, contributing edit, um, authors um, that are presented here that are um, um, representing the diversity of um, German scholarship, of course. So um, uh, I was wondering maybe also um, when we speak about the different um, memories within German history and the different like memorial lines, um, if you maybe can also elaborate on the specificity of the divided Germany or the um, uh, uh, reunited Germany, um, what that means in terms of the official um, narrative which is something that we maybe can also um, see very well at the aforementioned um, Humboldt Forum and the previous Palace de Republique. Uh, yeah, um, um, interesting is that we have amongst the debates, the historical debates with flare up now, the last couple of months is all the one about East Germany, East German history and East German identity. So uh, it's again felt that basically unification was also a takeover by, uh, of East Germany by West Germany, including by West German historians. So I'm not a specialist in this field, so I'm, I'm basically uh, summarizing the contributions uh, in, in, in the book, mainly by, by Katrina Wada and Patrice Putrus, and, and uh, Sasha Ilko Kowalczuk, who make strong cases a eh, of of uh, East German voices being ignored in um, in in in, in the, the the public German discourse and of the history of violence of racist violence which accompanied unification being basically ignored uh, in in all the the the, 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 the public 
narratives. And incidentally, just last Friday, we had a, we had a, a, a public debate on the book here in, in Hamburg with Katharina Wada and, and, and Patrice Putrus to Black East Germans who strongly make the, the case that they feel excluded. They felt excluded. They were born in, in, in Germany, in East Germany. They grew up in East Germany. But they felt that the whole euphoria about unification was not uh, was not including them, and that the racist violence which we are we are witnessing now and which is increasing has deep roots, although in in this unifi unification, and before and 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 in the in the nineteen nineties we had this uh, racist violence in west and and east. And, and people murdered. We have the, the NSU, this right-wing terror group, for 10 years traveling through Germany and murdering, murdering uh, uh, people. And it seems that um, in, the, in the national project, uh, the post-unification national project, this is largely ignored because we said, I mean, we have every year we have a celebration for unification and it's never about unifying Germans of of diverse cultural or ethnic or whatever you call it backgrounds. It's only about East Germans, white East Germans and white West Germans. And that is not reflecting modern Germany. Yeah, this is maybe a good segue to actually talk about the structure of the book. So um, the book is divided into five subsections with a total of 23 chapters. As I said, the authors are very diverse. And so it starts with a section on the German Empire it's, and its continuities. This is also where you are featured um, with your chapter. It then discusses National Socialism and the Second World War. And in a separate section, um, the Holocaust and multidirectional memory and then there's a section on East, East and West Germany and reunification. And finally, the so-called Berlin Republic. Um, so marginalization and a new master narrative is the subtitle of this section. Um, categorization and periodization is, of course, itself a choice. Um, so were there debates of how to structure the book? Um, why structure it this way? Was this kind of the clear um, way from the start or were the debates maybe also with the publishers? Um, how do the chapters themselves build onto each other and also these categorizations? And then finally, uh, yeah, as I've mentioned before, were there alternative ideas maybe for structuring the book, let's say along disc discursive categories rather than chronological and thematic lines? Well, uh, first of all, I think the book is aiming at a broader audience. So it's not 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 uh, meant or on uh, only for for academics. Uh, and that why I thought that uh, going along a chronological line, which is also quite of um, uh, the, the, the core of the debates. I mean, I was orienting on what are the debates which I could identify, um, what are not um, uh, controversies and debates, although they should be. Like like uh, the, the Islam belongs to Germany. The, the chapter on that is, is something which never, never reached uh, the, um, the, the, the never became a public uh, debate for historians because um, it was immediately pushed 
back, but we should also talk about uh, Islam as part of Germany and, and, and various groups. I mean, I say Islam and, and then we talk about uh, the Turkish identity. That is in itself is 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 narrowing it. It's just uh, really meant as opening up uh, uh, debates, and we had debates on what well, I think on 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 colonialism. We had debates on the Hohenzollern, which is uh, the attempt of of the last German imperial dynasty to get a lot of of their palaces and artwork back which were confiscated in East Germany because uh, by law there, they uh, categorized the Hohenzollern as uh, helpers of, of the Nazis and therefore uh, their, um, their, their land was taken away. And they are now suing to get it back with the argument that they were not uh, supporting uh, uh, Hitler. And, and that is a, deb a public debate and, and a, a lawsuit. And that's why why I uh, that's one choice. We had a debate on on, uh, on Christopher Clark and the sleepwalkers and the origin of World War One. So this has in the, the past for the the post immediate post war uh, historians generation very important debate. Who is responsible for World War One? Because it was quite clear who is responsible for World War II. At least in Europe, it's, it's the Germans and, and uh, Israel may be the Japanese, but in Europe, it's, 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 it's the Germans. But the argument was that um, World War II and Nazism originate somewhat in, the, in, in World War I, in the loss of World War I. So whoever is responsible for World War I is also indirectly responsible for Nazism and indirectly responsible for the Holocaust. Though a lot of, of Germans in the historians in the 90s and 50s and, and, and 60s were arguing that Germany is not responsible for World War I. And then came uh, Fritz Fischer, actually uh, a former colleague of mine at the University of Hamburg, who in the 1960s wrote two books saying that Germany was responsible for World War I because of the war aims. And there was a Fischer controversy, one of the first huge controversies on German uh, historical identity. Then I think it became widely accepted Germany is responsible. And then along came Christopher Clark, a, a colleague at, uh, from Cambridge, who wrote a book, uh, Sleepwalkers, in 2013, right for the centenary of the outbreak of World War I, which could be read like, no, it's not just Germans, it's more a systemic failure. Uh, and, and that it became an immediate bestseller in Germany. Sold, sold hundreds of thousands of copies because it was understood by a lot of Germans as we are not responsible, not so responsible for World War for World War One, and so we also have a debate on that, and that's a sort of and and that goes through all the chapters which you outlined, and you can see that most of it are political controversies, which then are, are translated into historical questions. Yeah, well, um, I mean, speaking of this field of the causalities and responsibilities um, that you just outlined, um, also politics, politics, uh, politics at the moment 
have changed so fast um, between the start and the end of the book. And also they changed in very disturbing and unfortunate directions. You mentioned them earlier already. Um, so maybe, and this might be a cheeky question because it's a very complex field, we know, but it would be interesting for our listeners who are not so familiar with the Germans, with the German particular Staatsraison, um, the raison d'etat. Maybe you can um, explain a little bit um, what the Staatsraison means and um, if you want to, we would also be curious in a second step um, how you would um, or how you see the debates that have erupted with regards to the Staatsraison um, since uh, October 7th. Well, the, the Staatsraison is, 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 what it means basically is that in 2008, uh, Chancellor Merkel uh, went on a state visit to Israel and declared that this, uh, the safety, uh, the security of Israel is uh, part of the German Staatsraison, uh, reason of state. And, and, and that was um, a, quite a, a strong statement, which uh, basically is interesting because as, as some said, so what does it mean? What, what, what is the consequence? And Merkel, and that is quite typical of her, I think, never responded to that. It's never, and there was no debate. As, as basically, I think Merkel will be remembered uh, as a German chancellor who depoliticized politics. And, and I think that's her, her, her terrible legacy in a way that there are no debates. Because for, for Merkel, a lot of things were without alternative. That wasn't one of, is one of uh, uh, the, the key concepts. There's no alternative to do this or that, which is interesting because in democracies, there are always alternatives. That's the essence of, of uh, democratic political culture. And I think what she did with Staatsraison is, is again saying, Germany commits itself that because of the, the, the moral uh, responsibility or the responsibility for the Holocaust will defend Israel or the, the, the security of Israel uh, at any cost. I mean, that is, is, is the meaning of it, but it was not specified. And up to October 7th, this terrible uh, Hamas terrorist attack, I think that... Um, Nobody discussed it because it was more or less meaningless because Israel seemed so strong and German seemed militarily so weak that you could not imagine what could Germany possibly do. That has changed now with, with, with October 7th. And um, the, the, the Staatsraison is now uh, used to say maybe that it's it's part of of of, of I mean Staatsraison is 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 an interesting uh, is interesting term because democracies normally don't have Staatsraison the the the, the term itself is from pre modern times because you said there are interests uh, of the state which are so central for the state as somebody put it that that means that G Germany would 
defend Israel at all costs because it understands that German security is is linked to Israel's security. And I think that this is, is basically basically problematic because nobody in Germany is prepared to do that because they never talked about it. What does it mean? Only the AfD in 2008, the right-wing uh, German, German uh, party said that would mean German soldiers in Israel defending Israel. Now, I think by all means that German soldiers in Israel are perhaps uh, an image which neither the Germans nor the Israeli nor anybody else would really um, uh, like to see. And I, 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 I can't really uh, see that. But it, it, it's used in Germany now to limit the discourse of that, what, what can be said and what can be publicly uh, 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 discussed. And that is, is uh, quite a, a step into illiberalism uh, in, in the last couple of weeks, which had a, which had a, a longer longer history and part of the historical debates about Bembe, about the Documenta 15, about multidirectional memory of my friend and colleague Michael Rosberg, and so, uh, which are now now so of this. But everybody says, oh, it's part of the Staatsräson, we meet we cannot discuss it. What does it mean? And 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 the problem is now that that is is now quite divisive for for German society. I mean, uh, because in defense or in following the the the, the, the Staats or German politicians, and we we have a a left green liberal government. We don't have a, a conservative right wing government. The opposite are uh, are, are, are basically. Uh, saying we should limit the, the right of expression of Germans of Palestinian or Arab or Islam origins because it goes counter to the Staatsräson. So Staatsräson is now used as a justification for 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 limiting the uh, freedom of expression, and that is is quite problematic. And again, you have this folkish concept uh, uh, plus. Jewish, which I mean needs to be said at this moment, but meaning that other parts of Germans are not proper Germans. We certainly have a huge debate whether people uh, of of uh, Arabic background who voice their support for Palestinians should be stripped of their German citizenship. This is this is uh, quite a Quite a, 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 a quite a, a shocking shocking debate because it says because we learned of out of our history we stripped them of their citizenship although the uh, the limits or the, the German uh, Grundgesetz the, the, the also states that it's extremely difficult to to strip somebody of his or her citizenship as a consequence of Nazism, because so many Germans, mainly Jew, uh, many Jews, lost their citizenship because the Nazis or the Germans, non-Jewish Germans, declared them as not being proper Germans. Now, this process is repeating in itself in defense of the Staatsräson. Thank you so much. I'm really grateful for you to um, 
actually saying these things out loud, um, I think it really is revealing how, in a sense, this national memory project is um, tied to white supremacist ideas in the middle of um, society within liberalism, not on the right wing um, periphery. Um, and yeah, the dangers are yeah, just very apparent. I think this makes this book also so relevant for the international context because it shows how um, memory politics are tied to existential existence in a sense for so many in Germany, but also obviously in Israel, Palestine and elsewhere. So yeah, thank you so much. But speaking of debate, um, since we don't have Merkel anymore, but I'm not sure if Olaf Scholz's record is much better, but there is of course Jürgen Habermas and um, <laughs> He recently came out with an open letter defending Germany's unconditional solidarity to Israel. And um, we thought it would be interesting to kind of look at Hamamas as one such figure that was deemed very progressive in the mid-1980s at the so-called first historical Streit. And now suddenly he must be situated in a very different political camp. It's 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 kind of the figure of Habermas um, is illuminate, illuminating about the shifts um, and developments in, in the German memory, memory landscape and also politically. Um, so we wanted to kind of discuss with you, what is the Historiker Streit one? What was Habermas idea there? How did he shape um, the German memory landscape and what is happening right now? What's happening right now is interesting because as a historian, I realize it's much easier to look back 30, 40, 50 years when you know how came out of it and can judge them, then live through it and trying to make sense of, of what's, 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 what's going on. Um, start with the easy part, the historical stride. One, the first historical stride is uh, started in 1968. In 1986, uh, uh, sorry, in, in 1982, uh, the Helmut Kohl of the Conservative Christian Democratic Union became Chancellor, and, and he announced that conservative values after the 1968 and, and all this uh, student revolt and all these movements and Willy Brandt and a new uh, Ostpolitik, etc., etc., he promised to turn the wheel back. And then uh, Ernst Neute, a historian, published a, an article where he said that the, the crimes of communism, of Stalinism, are more original than the crimes of Nazism, which uh, was interpre interpreted as saying that Nazism was a mere reaction to communism and Stalinism. And then we are back to the World War I, World War II. You know, the, the, the original sin was communism, not, not Nazism. And, and Habermas and Wähler and left uh, uh, um, liberal progressive historians and philosophers uh, criticized him. And that was the historical stride 
One, and it's it's commonly understood that it is sort of the moral foundation of, of the Federal Republic in the 80s, because it established the uh, Holocaust as a as a, 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 a German crime without uh, predecessors, and 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 it's, it's the the prime responsibility of 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 of, of the Germans. Then there is now a telling of a, a new historical strike, which um, it depends on, on, on who you ask. Some say it started with Achille Bembe and the debate about him. Others say it started with, with uh, um, Michael Rosberg and myself, and then Dirk Moses uh, in, 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 in uh, 21. I would say, uh, and, and, and it's a question about about uh, relativizing the Holocaust. And I would say it starts actually with conservative persons who abused the Holocaust for political gains. And I give you two examples. One was the Humboldt Forum. We are getting back to that. Well, when finally the Humboldt Forum, the the the, the post-colonial or the colonial, the critical uh, engagement with the Humboldt Forum could no longer be ignored. Horst Bredekamp, the founding director, went on uh, uh, the FAZ and a news, uh, newspaper, leading German conservative newspaper, announcing that those who criticize uh, the Humboldt Forum and the collection of, of colonial artifacts are anti-Semites, because the collectors in uh, the turn of the 19th century were Jewish. I think it's a complete absurd uh, article, but it, it shows that you, you they, they accused now others of being anti-Semitic. Second, since 2015, there were negotiations between Germany and Namibia on recognizing the genocide of the Herero Nama and the question of reparation. And the, the German special envoy, Ruprecht Polens, a former politician, in 2016 in Windhoek had a meeting with Nama survivors or the descendants of Nama survivors. And you must try to, to picture this in your head. There is a German special envoy in charge of, of, of negotiating German guilt and responsibility towards the descendants of the survivors. And in a meeting in the German embassy, the Nama more or less said something like, why do you ignore our demands for reparations? Because you also paid for the Jewish victims of the Holocaust. Now, regardless of, 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 of the argument, the response was quite shocking because the official German representative, the representatives of the perpetrators, if the ones, lectured them on how they cannot uh, compare the suffering of their parents or grandparents to those of the Jews because that was singular, that was unique. And he did so because that's was his argument, that's why you don't have to pay reparations. So that is, 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 is a blatant abuse, I think, of Holocaust and the uniqueness of the Holocaust for political gains. And I would say that's where 
where the historical Streit uh, 2.0 actually actually started, and it centers basically around one of the questions is uh, is how do you include the reality of Germany as a, a migrant society, of a society, and a Migrationsgesellschaft? How do you reconcile this with this uh, with this uh, idea? Of, of 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 German historical identity and 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 and, and uh, singularity, and I think that some say well it's about the the, the perpetratorship of our our forefathers, and that by definition excludes twenty five percent of the current German citizens from being part of this this memorial uh, memory community. And I think that is 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 at stake, and uh, at stake is that was uh, the argument of of, of Dirk Moses, which uh, maybe went too far to in in some extent, but pointed to the fact that he feared that the singularity, the uniqueness of the Holocaust, was being used to silence Germans of Palestinian descent to voice their criticism. Of Israel, which two years ago everybody rejected, but which we more or less are seeing right now. So that that's that's the, the historical Streit 2.0, and and it's also about the Bembe debate, the Cameroonian historian and philosopher Ashil Bembe, who was supposed to open a a. Uh, um, Art exhibition or art festival in 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 in, in Germany and was then uh, accused of being anti-Semitic because he uh, he compared uh, that was uh, alleged the the Holocaust and 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 Israeli crimes and the, the interesting thing is that I think there is a lot to be criticized. Uh, but the point was that German authorities, because the debate said, but let him ask his position and talk about it, because that's a global perspective. And, and Germany said, we don't care about the global perspective. We in Germany have, have this understanding of what happened. And if he wants to talk in Germany, he needs to accept this as uh, as, as, as the a, a core at the starting point and I think that is is a problem of of a very provincial uh, understanding of of, of of debates of ignoring voices from the, the the global south which you can also see at the documenta last year the artwork which had then uh, a, a few anti-semitic uh, pieces of art in it and uh, which were anti-Semitic, and, and which I think we need to uh, need to accept that they were anti-Semitic, because people some people rejected this. I think they were anti-Semitic, but we then used we need to close the entire exhibition down because we don't allow anti-Semitic uh, images. And again, it it uh, the, uh, sort of. Um, aimed at, at, at artists or philosophers uh, from the global south. So this is now becoming a discussion about uh, perspectives of the global south or international perspective versus 
German perspectives. And I think that's repeated now in the debate about Habermas and his uh, co-authors and uh, Sam Moyne and Toos and others who criticize them. What's at stake is, is there a, a transnational, a international perspective and that there's a German perspective and does a German perspective trump the international perspective? And if so, why? Yes, there seems to be a twin figure of um, the so-called German with migration background and um, post-colonial theorist and artist um, and this idea of the imported anti-Semitism, which is also such a fraud idea. It seems to be kind of coalescing right now um, in these discourses. But maybe you want to... Yeah, because you also like mentioned the current um, uh, climate of debate and who is allowed to talk about what and how um, and also the patronizing gestures that come with it. And this is something that we discussed in preparation of this interview um, also a lot. And also we couldn't help to feel um, quite pessimistic um, uh, also about the, your book's reservations, uh, observations. Um, um, looking at the instrumentalization of memory in the culture wars that happen in Germany at the moment and that also happen elsewhere. And um, like when currently mere terminologies are so triggering that it feels like an actual debate is impossible to have. We were wondering if you have any... Um, any idea um, what it would need um, to facilitate a public debate again, or what could be like a framework um, to to make this happen again in this um, tense atmosphere at the moment? Like how how could we dissolve this, or what would be needed? Hmm. Yeah, that uh, that's a difficult, a really difficult one because um, I have no. No, no recipe, or I've, I've, I, I have no definite answers. I, I think about it because everybody in Germany, I don't know how it's in the US, is constantly now talking about what's happening because everybody feels that we are, we, we are on a turning on, 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 on a, a turning point. And I would say that the best thing is to try to understand all of the other side's position. Because I think it's it's so emotional because everybody feels so strong uh, about it. And I think the first step would be to really understand the suffering of of the other side. If we now look at uh, the actual war, the suffering on both sides, because I think that is something Habermas could have done better. He could have said a sentence more about the suffering of, of the Palestinians. That would not have changed, I think, the core argument, but it would have been it would have been a, an important gesture. Because I mean for myself, I'm horrified by the uh, attacks of, of Hamas. I think it's completely unjustifiable. It's it's a wild terrorist attack. And I'm also horrified by the number of civilians being killed uh, in, 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 in Gaza. And I think we need to learn, maybe as intellectuals, uh, that uh, we are horrified without having an easy answer. 
we sometimes just have to accept that there is a, ho a horrible situation which cannot easily be solved. And, and I think we, we have the we, we, we try to have a, a, a strict moral positioning, or oh, that's, that's the wrong word. I think we just try to understand the suffering and say, wait a minute, I don't have an answer to it. And we understand the, the suffering of others. And in, in, in Germany, we have a problem, what I, I read, what I hear, what I see, opposite my office is a Jewish institution. And suddenly there needs, there is police there because the Jewish institutions and uh, everything which you can identify as Jewish is under threat of attack. I think we need to understand that. And as a civil society, we need to fight that. On the other hand, I hear from other colleagues that talks about all the Muslims in Germany need to distance themselves from Hamas, which basically the German Vice Chancellor Habeck has said, and the German President has said, is divisive. Because, I mean, you cannot say that just because you share a faith, you're responsible for, for the action of, of a terrorist group, per your belonging to a certain group. And the irony, the deep irony is, again, it's, it's said because we learned from history, but we, we are falling into the same trap saying that it's, it's a form of othering. We just declare a large part or not a small part of German society as being something different because they need now to distance themselves. Because I think everybody should distance him or herself from terrorist attacks and not just because somebody uh, just happens to be a, 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 a Muslim. And I think we need to understand that both sides we, for example, as those Germans who are neither Muslim nor Jewish should understand that both sides feel threatened and that we have a duty as a society to protect both sides from any danger. And, and that is the, 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 well, that's what we need to do. That's a measure we should, or we should be measured by that. Yeah. So, so in the face of these quickly unfolding real life events right now, is there like this one chapter where you think, damn, this should be in the book as well? Um, yeah, we were just wondering if if you wished you had included one other chapter that was maybe floating around. Well, I think I regret that because I think I, I mentioned the Staatsräson, I mentioned it in, in, in passing. I I think I should have written more. I think we should have written more about the the, the, the two chapters actually on multi-directional memory and on Arab or Muslim uh, Jewish solidarity in in Germany. And I should have maybe concentrated now a bit more on the positive example because one tends then to say the controversies what is excluded, what is thought about. But all those stories where people are, are, are trying to overcome the division, I think that that perhaps I, I should have, <laughs> well, I should have included uh, more chapters on that. But, well, I think nobody, when I finished uh, in, in July, uh, I, 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 I did never dream that 
two months later uh, or three months later, uh, we, we would have the test case of of, of some of of, uh, of of the articles. Yeah, I think we we all would be happy about positive examples at the moment. So, but maybe this is something if you are thinking about that anyway. Um, something that might be included in any future projects. Um, so we were wondering, is there already anything specific you are already working on um, in terms of um, any future um, yeah, projects? And if so, do you want to uh, share some information on this with us? I mean, it's not volume two, it's not, not yet in the planning because volume came, one came out on the 9th of September. So it's a mere two months out now. And, 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 and since I'm trying, uh, struggling to make, make, make sense of this, but I would definitely try to write a book on now on, 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 uh, on, on, on this folkish concepts of, of, of all this debate, because that is what really worries me is that what we see now is that the folkish idea is gaining ground, because that is what you mentioned in passing, the so-called imported anti-Semitism. I mean, if one, if there's one thing on earth, Germany needs not to import, that's anti-Semitism. Because I, I mean, I, this is this is this is this is really now a way of the Wiedergutwerdung, the the becoming good again of Germans by now pointing, uh, pointing to the anti-Semitism as a problem of immigrants from Muslim countries. Yeah, it's not used for Ukrainian immigrants. You've got 1.2 million refugees for, or 1.5 million refugees from Ukraine in Germany since uh, the, the, the invasion, the Russian invasion uh, started uh, one and a half years ago. And it's it's not, not aimed at them. So it, it has a, a, a racist bias uh, to it because that's people who have not white skin like Ukrainians or like like proper Germans in quote quote uh, unquote and I think that needs to be unpacked in a, in a, in a project great yeah we're looking forward to it already um and um this is a I guess a great but very pessimistic way to end this really important conversation um I would like to thank you for taking the time today to talk to us, um, Jürgen. And so to our listener, this was Jürgen Zimmerer, and we were talking about his edited volume, Erinnerungskämpfe, Neues Deutsches Geschichtsbewusstsein, which came out with Reklam earlier this year. We definitely recommend to buy it, read it, and if you don't know German yet, learn German to, to read it and send it to your friends. Um, it's a very, very important um, a volume with crucial ideas that definitely are not limited to Germany, but indeed, as all of these debates show, are very international already. Um, so, yeah, thank you again, Jürgen. Um, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in. This was Miriam Schorli-Schulz and Henriette Sölter for the New Books Network. Thank you. <laughs>